This is Inner Healing Paths podcast. Here we discuss the healing of the mind, body, soul, and spirit through a variety of different paths. We have emotional and spiritually minded conversations centering on ancestral healing, psychology, astrology, yoga, meditation, magic, and indigenous spiritual practices of the world. I am your host, Rosa Shetty, and I am so happy you are here. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Rosa, and this episode is with Dr. Hortensia Jimenez. She is a sociologist, an author, and a health coach. Her work and research as a sociologist primarily focuses on Latinx communities in the United States. Dr. Jimenez has several publications in leading journals in sociology and Latino studies, And for this conversation, Dr. Jimenez shares her own personal story of coming to the U.S. from Mexico as a child. She shares her healing journey and how she's been able to overcome very difficult experiences. She talks about her work on dismantling oppressive diet culture and how to help people heal their relationship with food and the body. And just know that this episode is not meant to treat or diagnose any physical or mental health condition. This episode does not substitute for health care or mental health services of any kind. Guests have a right to share their opinion and perspective, and this does not constitute an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Hortensia Jimenez. Take a listen. Welcome, Dr. Hortensia Jimenez, to the Inner Healing Paths podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Very excited to share this space with you and your audience. Gracias por la invitación. Yes, of course. Thank you. Gracias a ti por aceptar. (laughs) Por aceptar la invitación. Es un honor. No, thank you. Oh, thank thank you, you for seeing me, for seeing the work that I'm um, doing on social media and, of course, the work that we always do in our communities yeah. that's offline. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And and I think there's I always say there's not enough of us, you know, doing the, the work, the, the healing work. And especially when we're talking about the Latinx, the Hispanic community, there's even less, right? Less people. Absolutely. The healing work. So for those that are not familiar with you and, and, and what you do, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and the, the healing work you do? Yes. Uh, I live in Monterey County, which is home to the um, SLN Casanoan Nation. So I think it's so important to acknowledge the original um, inhabitants of these lands, the stewards of these lands. I am a full-time sociology professor. I teach in the community college. I'm a sociologist, so I teach a wide range of uh, courses and a lot of intersecting topics. I am a first-generation college graduate. I'm a Mexicana immigrante, proud to be indigenous from Huichol ancestry. I was born uh, in the Sierra Madre of the state of Nayarit, Mexico. And I have four sisters, the second to the oldest. 
I came to this country when I was a, a child. I was, when we're talking about healing and trauma, I think that's part of my experience and how we carry that in our bodies and that informs, I guess, the work that we do. So I, I can say that I feel displaced. I was uprooted. I was taken away from my, my parents and my sisters. And so that is very traumatic. And I grew up here in this country, in the United States, raised by my paternal grandmother, who is going to be a one year anniversary in about a week, but she passed away. So I was raised by my paternal grandmother and and, um, I was undocumented for a couple years of my childhood, which tremendously shaped my, um, my lived experience as a child. Who didn't have the language to articulate her life and her experience and understanding why was she so far away from her family why was she here not with her mom and father and sisters back in mexico and then trying to understand why she couldn't stay when she had her temporary green card you know yeah. so that's kind of like um, a little bit about who i am and and you said like the work i do is informed by my lived experience my lens how i see the world and my academic training as a sociologist and also as a health coach yeah and i'm a mother of three yeah (laughs) yeah soon to be 16 year old uh, 14 year old you know 11. yeah wow so yeah so you're you're busy you have a lot going on and and thank you for your and i have a fur baby (laughs) (laughs) my beautiful dog german shepherd he's four years old he's my emotional pet so it's important i want to acknowledge my 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 dog has been through he has been with me through a lot of grieving and a lot of healing Mm. Yeah, sometimes they're our most uh, faithful, loyal companions right through it all. They 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 just accept us no matter what. Yes. But thank you. I wanted to just acknowledge your your story. And even though, you know, it was very brief, yes. I got the sense that so much of the passion that I see through, you know, I, through the your your social media and through the work that you've done, I I could see how it's almost like it was it's being amplified or fueled by what you went through as a child and and I'm, I'm just wondering if you if you're okay sharing with with the listeners how you know a little bit more about you know how that experience of having mm-hmm. to come to to the U.S. and leave your family behind how has that been um, you know how have you been healing or how has your healing journey been mm-hmm. side to side with your sociology <laughs> you know career and in and, and academics mm-hmm. how has your healing evolved as you yes. started this journey as an academic right? mm-hmm. as, thank as a you. professor yeah yes. how do you see this this mm-hmm. journey for you thank you for asking permission because i think and this is for the community who is listening mm when we are asked to be in podcasts and share mm. we are always also uh, very um i guess i'm always very intentional who i say yes to and how much to share um and your podcast is one that i i respect that i enjoy listening oh, to thank you and and it is it's a gift when we share our experiences 
it's a gift that we're sharing with others even though there's a lot of trauma and a lot of pain so i just kind of wanted to acknowledge that and that it's not it's still not easy to talk about our our life experiences that have shaped us but i'm in a better place in my life to be able to do so and i will continue to to share with people who i know can hold this this gift and honor it so gracias thank you um as a child i didn't have the language to understand um, what was happening in my life and so honestly there wasn't any healing as a child or as a teenager it wasn't until i i guess i have to kind of pause and say that i was raised um in a very traditional catholic home and oppressive home so if we talk about healing from a institutional lens as religion as an institution that is you know i want to recognize that um, the catholic church was my only avenue as a child and teenager i was forced to go to church every sunday um so that was part of my healing in and that whatever capacity i had it wasn't the best but that's what i was able to have access to and it wasn't until i got to the university that i took introduction to sociology and i fell in love and that's the passion i transmit in my as a professor and i think also on my everything i do even on social media you can see like it, i light up every time i talk about sociology it changed my life it changed my life uh, because it gave me the language to understand my experience. Like, oh, understand the, the factors, understand that I, as, as a child, that it wasn't my fault, you know, that I was separated from my family, that it was understanding systems of oppression. So I began that journey of that healing so that the spiritual part that like religious was there, but then like the academic, you know, education is, it can be a place of oppression, but it can also be liberating. So it was for me, for me, it was liberating having the language to articulate my experience. Unfortunately, it wasn't really validated. I like, I lacked representation from faculty of color, but just like the, the, the content that was being presented and what I was learning, me ayudó mucho and also being involved. I've always been involved in the community. So do, always, being connected to the Latinx immigrant community. So if I want to talk about healing, then we also want to acknowledge that activism, activism or civic engagement, como lo quiera nombrar, ¿verdad? Uh, that has also been part of my healing and, and connecting and always being grounded to my identity um, and giving back to the community. So that is also healing. And then kind of, um, I would say it is unfortunately, in 1998, um, my father passed away unexpectedly. I was going to go into my sophomore year of my undergraduate. And so this is a trigger warning for everyone. My father was killed. He was tortured in the most inhumane ways. Oh my goodness. You can imagine. Yeah. yeah. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 
yeah i'm so sorry yeah so all yeah. oh, the only tool i had mm -hmm. i was gonna turn 18. yeah i had to go to mexico and i had to see my father and yeah oh so that was hard and the only resources that i had you know was um was the institution religion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I started getting involved with with the missionaries, uh, mm. uh, specifically Catholic missionaries, women who never who marry God technically, and mm -hmm. it was beautiful. Actually, like I immersed myself, and that mm. gave me so much healing because I was mad at God. I was like, "How could you let this happen?" Absolutely, yeah. So I I had a very messy, complicated, nuanced relationship mm -hmm. with God and religion and. I spiritually, um, I began that healing process. So I was between 18, you know, I didn't meet the missionaries until like I was 21 or 22. So imagine that was a mess between 18. Yeah. I was so tra I was traumatized. It was awful. Like academically it was, it was yeah. really hard, but that's a whole different story. But yeah, in terms of no, that healing, it's, it's yeah. been, it's been, it's so it's, it, it sounds like either you were navigating or, or trying to heal from the experiences of childhood and then here you are starting college and being exposed to language that that makes you that that helps make sense of what happened to you and then this terrible trauma occurs and it's almost like you're yes. you know, you're getting started all over again and navigating and finding yes. your ground and and trying to figure things out and you reconnected with spirituality or or it sounds like it was still it was still it was, it was it, religion that, yes it was religion, religion organized religion it was spirituality the, yes yeah, but you because know, it's I, different now how it, i how how i embody that and my relationship with god has changed yeah. over the years as part of my own healing mm. uh, so when i um met the missionaries like i did a lot of like healing like mm. but all that kind of the spiritual institutional that's uh, how i'm kind of like and you know and this is not to offend anyone but like mm. how can i best explain like my mm. healing and my spirituality that was connected specifically to the institution of religion mm. right mm -hmm. and that's all i knew and anyone who's listening to this if you're a student please and as a professor i tell the first day of of, of class please look for the resources in campus. We have mental health, we have counselors. If I would have known, you know, I never got the counseling. I never went to therapy. I started therapy probably less than a decade ago. And let me tell you, mm -hmm. I haven't really processed my father's death and mm -hmm. that grief up until last year with my grandmother, because now mm -hmm. I have the resources yeah. to be able to go to therapy and pay. So I'm mm -hmm. actually still like, I still need to work through my father's death. It's way different. Like yeah. I've done so much podcasts about grief and yeah. he, when you someone, you lose someone because of suicide or they're killed, it's a whole different, different. process of right. healing, right? So, yeah, yeah. It, it's on many levels, right? Emotionally, of course, uh -huh. as a human being, spiritually, it's, uh -huh. a, it's a whole other healing process and then the the but even though you didn't see it but listening knowing the story vicariously you knew you were traumatized mm -hmm. through that yeah just knowing what happened to him is traumatizing yes. Yes. so and then of course this is 
your father. So this is a, it's been, it sounds like it's just a lay, very layered trauma that you're navigating. Yeah. And I think, you know, so many going back to what you were sharing of how you went into this field, try to make sense of, of what you experienced. I think, you know, as I come from the therapy background and a lot of therapists do listen to this podcast as well. And I think that many can relate to that because so many therapists, if not all, you know, we go into this field because we are also, especially, you know, I mean, for me, I started when I was very young, I was also trying to find the language to and mm-hmm. the resources, right. To, to help yes. myself. And of course it, it all makes sense. Well, if I, if I went through this and I understand how it feels like I'm going to be great at, you know, helping <laughs> others. Um, and in a way, yes, but, but it also is very triggering, right. Because mm-hmm. then you, you get to see, to work with people that, that just remind you of your own experiences. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it's important to do your own healing work, but mm-hmm. I, I think that like you said, academics is it, it, sometimes is it's a doorway to that yes. world of of healing and 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 finding um, resources and 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 recovering from what we went through. Yeah. So when I went to grad school, you know, I did my undergraduate and my master's at the same institution, San Jose State University. And when I went for my PhD, I was in UT Austin and uh, Austin, Texas for six years. And that's decided that I wanted to be a student and a parent. You know, I wanted to disrupt this idea that you can't have it all. You can't be, you're either just a student. And I'm like, you know, like, cuando? this is why academia, you know, so I didn't have, uh, I didn't do any type of healing. And imagine going through being a brown woman pregnant and in, in, in grad school is, is so hard. It's, that's another level of trauma that I had to go through. And trust me, I, I it's still hard. But it wasn't until I would say the last maybe 10 years that I uh, have been healing through like professional going to therapy, uh, but also through connecting with my indigeneity and and connecting with Mother Earth and my garden. Uh, that has been, it, it's just been amazing. It's been healing, like even playing my drum and the and the food being in the altar, all that um, is a, it's a whole, it's different. Now I don't, I don't go to church, you know, I can't, I can't be in that space. And that is okay. So this is an invitation for other people who were raised um, in a very traditional, either Christian home. And it's okay. Like it's this, this journey of healing and your relationship with god the creator your ancestors is it's non-linear you know there's never there's no right or wrong way and i'm speaking from my own experience and so just wanted to say that and like you have unconditional permission to connect to god at any point like whenever it feels right or oppression works Okay, sorry about that. There was a bit of a of a glitch there with, yeah. with our internet, but mm-hmm, absolutely, I just want to comment on what you were sharing about the healing being nonlinear, and we hear that so much, right? And we see it now in social media, especially for folks that follow accounts related to healing. But it is it's not a concept that you can just cognitively say and and. And then you're good, right? Next time you have a trigger or next, you know, it's one of those things that you experience. 
you experience the, the non-linear healing journey each and every time there's, um, you know, whether it's a trigger, a change, you know, I always like to say sometimes a good change, a new job, having a baby, sometimes things that are happy trigger inevitably parts of our past that, that need healing or that need maybe another component of healing right because there is you know with with he, when when we're doing the therapy and when we're doing you know connecting with our culture and when doing spiritual practices and all and we're doing everything right and then inevitably something triggers us and we're like well I'm doing all the things that I can do well sometimes you know because you're doing all the things life gives you an opportunity to once again take a look at a part of the healing that's still there, right? It's maybe it's just a small thing, but it needs your attention. And here we are again, going back to that. And I think that's, I think it's beautiful that that life, the good and the bad sometimes gives us these never ending opportunities to continue expanding. Exactly. And I think too, um, part of the uh, toxic positivity and social media around just being positive and around healing is from my perspective as a sociologist as a health coach I say that healing is it's a journey it's not a destination it's not like climbing Everest <laughs> it's not like you reach the top and you're like yeah ya ya llegué. I'm good no, no. no yeah. it's because you we're we're dynamic beings and we're interacting with people and we will be triggered um, but we might have the tools mm-hmm. and the strategies right but it's I feel like it's como like a scar it's like mm-hmm. trauma you know it's those events happened right mm-hmm. and they might not feel the same but it might hurt and might take you to those memories I mean I'm obviously not a therapist so you know more than me <laughs> I don't know. That's exactly how it happens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, No. Speaking as a sociologist, like it's going to end until we die. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I I had, um, I have a, I had a client that, you know, just to give an example to what we're talking about, you know, I had a client who had done so much work around growing up with an angry father, you know, so much work for 10 years. And, um, and, and then it wasn't until her father was close to, to dying that all of a sudden she started having flashbacks I mean it had been years right and they had a good relationship they had been able to amend you know make amends and they had a good relationship with a supportive loving daughter but the fact that he was now in hospice you know all of that it, it was not so much the grief uh, or the anticipatory grief that you know it's natural response to to having to knowing that this is ha- going to happen um for her it was that the flashbacks came came back the 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 classic ptsd symptoms and nightmares all that and she was trying to make sense well you know in in navigating this um there was a part of her that was still hanging on to the idea that her father could be the father that her little the girl, the little one within her, her inner child was still hoping for that. And her father can maybe be what she needed. Yes. And of course, now that he was dying, that possibility, you know, that would no longer be right. So that even though cognitively she knew what was going on, it mm-hmm. she did not understand it emotionally, you know, even her body, her nervous system right. were having a whole reaction. So sometimes that's how it, it yes. works, right? And it was an, it a little bit of an extreme example, but mm-hmm. sometimes 
there's parts of it that of our trauma that we may not even understand until we go through certain yes. life stages, right? Yes. Like lo- losing a parent um, is, is, is a part of life, you know, yes. for, for many of us. And, um, you know, so it's just how it is. And, and from your experience in, from a sociological perspective, how, how do you, how does, you know, as a, as a professor in sociology, how do you guys make sense of this trauma, mm-hmm. this, co- or the collective trauma, Yes, which is another layer that. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yes. Actually, I just recently did a keynote addressed, um, for the Medicine County office education. And the topic was on adverse childhood experiences. And I opened the keynote with like, you know, traumas are a matter of fact, you know, they're there. It's like how we process them if we're able to and willing to go through that, you know, so that we can heal and that we so that we don't harm others. And my whole focus and I also want to make sure that people know here that are listening that the childhood experiences that we had growing up they weren't our fault yeah so going and hugging my inner nina right now and letting her know nothing was your fault not i mean i just share like a couple things with you but there's so much other traumas that i have gone through that none of that was my fault and once we understand that trauma is at the individual level it is through family through people around us at the micro level at our like close knit right but that trauma is also manifested at the institutional level right so as a sociologist it's always helpful and I tell my students it's a way also to liberate yourself and and realize that these traumas that happen to you as a child they're connected to society they're connected to broader structures so if you come from an abusive household or you know, when it, like my father can pass his guns, it was very patriarchal, very machista. And I want to be as honest with you. And it wasn't until probably either a year and a half or two, I was sitting in, I was meditating. I was in my altar and I started crying and I just, I, I forgave my father. And I said, and I talked to him and I said, I forgive you. Like patriarchy has also patriarchy harmed you like he enforced patriarchy but patriarchy so like having the language and being compassionate with my father at in my 40s you know I couldn't have said that because I still had resentment because my father was violent there was domestic violence you know it was it was really bad but coming to a place of compassion 20 years later Okay, yo no sé si son 20 o 30. <laughs> let's count. I think 20, right? Let's, I lost my father. It was like it was yesterday. <laughs> oh, it's okay, yeah. But just telling you this is that's how I see trauma and that it's not just at the individual level, it's societal. How do institutions, how do these ideologies of, of religion, what is the role like even our government and the laws and policies that they pass that shape the family, right? They're all intricately connected. We cannot talk about healing while recognizing systems of oppression in our society that make it Absolutely. difficult for us to live 
and to thrive right and and that caused trauma and if you're already dealing like you said with the trauma at home whether it's because of abuse in the house or then all of these structure these structures oppressive then just it compounds it just adds and adds absolutely yeah and then you feel like powerless but once Mm -hmm. we begin to identify them and and challenge them then that's that's where the hard and beautiful work is at the same time yeah no absolutely thank you for for sharing that and i want to shift gears a little bit because i know in your social media and your instagram you've talked a lot about diet culture and and the toxicity within that and specifically how it impacts the latinx you know communities so can you tell talk a little bit more about about you know, a diet culture and, and the intersectionality of that with the trauma and our communities. Yes, of course. I, uh, I'm one of the few uh, Latinas. There are other uh, women of color, uh, Latina dietitians, nutritionists doing this work. I am the only like sociologist. <laughs> so I feel lonely in this journey. I do want to say that the work I'm doing mm. is hard in terms of the content that I'm creating yeah. and the lens in which I'm putting it forward yeah. and feeling lonely, not having a support system online. Now I'm creating that. So just just for everyone to know that it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of vulnerability, a lot of Uh, for me is faith like through God but also connection with my ancestors to do this work Uh, so it's not like oh pues hay mucha gente no 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 hay my my voice gets muted a lot as well because it's not popular and I started this account uh, during the pandemic I was doing a lot of work in the community um, you know face to face and with the pandemic there's this whole transition to stuff online and I actually started my account like for like oh share recipes because I had time to cook and show recipes maybe some exercise videos and then slowly I started doing research as a good academic I was like let me check where are the other platforms other accounts are like that are doing similar work and that's when I realized oh there isn't there's a lack of representation e that kind of gave me even more motivation um so it's been a very hard journey i've experienced a lot of different challenges but um i have really centered i really have centered it on my experience as a uh, as a mexicana as an immigrant as a latina growing up in the united states while i am not representing all latinas or latinx or latine that's not my intention but my intention is from a sociological lens to provide people an understanding of diet culture beyond the mainstream white uh, Eurocentric understanding, which is like diets, like um, eating healthy or detoxing or all this other stuff. And I'm building on the work by queer folks, by people of color uh, in understanding diet culture. So if you're asking me as a woman of color as a latina diet culture for me is not just the wellness industry for me diet culture is a system it's a system of oppression that is rooted in all the interconnectedness of the all these institutions that's where my lens comes from a social and racial justice lens we cannot talk about healing our relationship with our bodies if we don't talk about our relationship with food and vice versa but that's just the tip of the iceberg. If you know, or if you go through my feed, 
You're like, why is she talking about oppression? And y eso no tiene nada que ver con la comida y el cuerpo. It has everything to do. And I think that's what people have been challenged, you know, and I'm getting more exposure. People are like, oh, this is a different way to see diet culture, you know, and it, it is, it is very unique and because it's coming from my experience and it's coming from a sociologist. So if we center dismantling diet culture, you know, by centering on these systems of oppression, we can talk about why we have, you know, um, bad image days or you know we have body image you know challenges why we have food trauma yeah that's connected to the family and didn't we talk about earlier the, how that's connected to society that is my hope there's a lot of nuances sometimes i do good sometimes I'm like i don't even know what the heck i'm saying you know i, I mean i know what i'm saying but like does do people see it do they understand what i'm saying you know like because i get it <laughs> you know so that's yeah, kind of no. where i'm coming from and, and what about how do you see the the body shaming, um, you know, that 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 process that, you know, how do how do as, as a community or, you know, as a group, how do we get conditioned for for the body yes. shaming? How do you see yes. that play out? The, mm -hmm. I'm talking about how do, you know, kids at a very yes. young age know mm -hmm. um, or are able to criticize others, bully others based on their body or yes. how do they know? Well, maybe I don't measure up. Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough. Yes. How, how this, does that conditioning happen? Mm -hmm. This happens at the moment of birth, even before. So even before a child is born, um, think about the um, reveal ¿Cómo se llaman? Reveal parties, reveal celebrations. ¿Cómo se llaman? Gender reveals. Gender reveals. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm a sociologist. There's so much to unpack. Yeah. You're already conditioning mm -hmm. the binaries, right? Of mm -hmm. is it going to be a boy or a girl, right? And then the anticipation que se va a ser niño o niña. Y ya que sabes, you begin like buying what society says is what's according to that. Right. So you're already boxing this baby that is in the womb, todavía no nace. You don't even know what their gender expression, gender identity, their sexuality is going to be like. Right. So body shaming begins at home, begins at home. The institution of the family plays a huge role. It is central. We learn these messages from our family. We learn it from our friends. We learn it from the community. And then when we are exposed to the media, that's another institution, right? So the media, television, the cartoons, I protected my kids as much as I could. They didn't watch, I'm so proud and we talked, they didn't watch any Disney movies growing up. I was very intentional that they weren't going to be exposed to the white thin body, to all these toxic narratives that like you need to be saved by a male, you know? and they thank me now they you know they're like i'm a map but i was able to protect them as much as i could because they were going to be exposed to this but i was going to give them the language and the tools but you know i come from a place of privilege of you know being educated and being able to protect my kids from these messages but kids who are not you internalize that it's like you, you when you're a child it's like we're a sponge we soak everything around us you go to the store, all we see are Barbies, all like the, the binaries of what children should play with. And that Barbie that is thin, ya te están diciendo what, what um, 
body type you need to uh, attain the ideal version and then at home family will shame you not only in terms of the size of your body but the colorism the anti-blackness and the anti-indigeneity yeah. in our in our in our Absolutely. families if you're light skin if you have blue mm -hmm. eyes if mm -hmm. you're dark skin marry someone who's lighter so that in that internalized oppression like all that is connected yeah. to the body and and by default it's going to shape how you view your body, how you treat it, and like what you eat. Está conectado todo. No, ab absolutely. Everything you, you said, I, I feel that, you know, just in my own personal experience and journey and, you know, growing up, that the body shaming, listening to to my own, to my mom talk about her body, right, or, or listening to the, the tias talk about how they look or how, or list, or hearing how they criticize others. That, these are the messages that, that kids absorb. I absorbed, right? Yes. So, so mm -hmm. at a very young age, I knew how I wanted to look, you mm -hmm. know, growing up. And I remember having these thoughts in, I think it maybe must have been first, maybe second grade. I remember very clearly um, being at school and, and, and looking at, at, a thinness mm -hmm. you know oh they're thin they're not thin. And, and I remember even having this little, a little conversation with my little friends and talking about body size I yes. mean we were in second grade yes and it becomes so normalized it that's is, the problem and you don't it, even know mm -hmm. right as mm -hmm. kids you don't even you just talk but it's all we're like you said we're a sponge yes. kids it's, are a and, sponge mm -hmm. we're absorbing everything as children and because it's so normalized within our homes so we don't we take it as real as truth and we don't question that. And then like the media, we see this in the media, even though there's a lot more diversity now and there's women in bigger bodies and there's fat activism, but still it's, there's still a lot of discrimination. And then the school system and then the government, you see like all these institutions reinforce these uh, ideologies. But I do wanna say that like, okay, how can we unpack this? Like, what do we do? Well, of course, you know, support the work that I do on social media, learn, like I provide, you know, tips, but what I wanna offer right now is the unlearning. We have to do that unlearning. We can, we need to begin to question because how you feel about your body and the ideas that you have about your body, they're a mixture of different people, of different voices. So it's the first step is acknowledging that they're there and being compassionate. You know, that's the hardest part, the self-compassion, but saying, okay, this is not me. This is the voice of my abuelita or my aunt or my mom or Latina or whoever like yeah. right that is so powerful once be we begin to name where these thoughts these oppressive mm -hmm. narratives that we're carrying come from so that's my invitation for people who are listening mm -hmm. how you feel about your body the self-hate the todo lo que tú piensas y sientes acerca de tu cuerpo empieza a identificar cuáles son las personas que te causaron daño be compassionate with yourself and with those people because other stuff is going to come out once we begin that journey if people want to because it's difficult that's where that part of that healing will come it's not easy but then we cannot i can't ask you go and be a disruptor go challenge fat phobia when you yourself are you're, you're not you're not there mm -hmm. you know you in order for us to be allies on other social issues in our society, 
we need to do some of our own healing so that we don't perpetuate harm. So that's one of simple, it's a simple strategy to say, but it's very difficult. No, thank you. I think uh, that that was going to be me to my next question, how we can start challenging these beliefs when we identify these beliefs within ourselves and when, and, you know, how, how to navigate that. So thank you for, for sharing that. Um, do you have any, any book or any recommendations on I know you have a podcast as well you know but anything that you recommend education wise because I know I'm big on reading and and education really helps me to make sense of of what I'm going through Uh, so for the folks that are that are like me and, and want to read and learn more do you have any recommendations yes I do um one of the books that I really like, most of the books that I purchase and mm-hmm. that I read from are from people of marginalized identities, Black folks, uh, queer folks, um, people in larger bodies. One of the most uh, popular ones is The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love by Sonia mm. Renette Taylor. It's such an amazing oh, book. I that. Yeah, I have it's, that one. It's amazing. Yeah. I love, and yes, it's so quick. It is. It's a quick read. And it just... Yes. It, I think after I read that book, it fundamentally changed my understanding of radical self-compassion because I had an understanding of what I read in other books, but reading her perspective on on that just changed everything for me. So highly recommend that as well. Thank you for bringing that book up. Yes. I was looking over my bookshelf right now and I can't see it with me here, but her name is Virgie Tovar and I can send you the information on a message. What is her first name? Virgie, uh, Virgie Tovar. Uh-huh. Uh, she has a couple books and my apologies so that I don't remember oh, the titles no. of her book. She's a uh, fat, she's a Latina fat activist okay. and leading figure in, um, in gender and fat studies. And she talks about her experience growing up uh, Mexican American as a brown woman in a bigger body. So uh, my invitation is learn from people who don't look like you who are not in the same body as you, who are from different identities. That's all we need to do is learn and listen, right? And and th- these are some good books. Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness and Anti-Blackness by Deshaun Harrison is a little academic, but it's such a great book as well. Um, it talks uh, really about what it means to live and be in a black body uh, and a queer body and the racial hierarchy, you know, in terms of race, but also in terms of bodies, what bodies are deemed worthy and acceptable, you know. Um, Another book that talks about like basically the history of anti-blackness is Dr. Dr. Sabrina Strings. She's a sociologist and fearing the black body it's uh, also a sociological, uh, more academic book, but for those who are interested in learning more about the origins of anti-Blackness and the inter- inter- intersections with fat phobia, it's, it's an amazing book. Um, so those are just some of the few that I can make reference. Uh, Health at Every yeah. Size, there's other books as well, but what was that one, the last apology. one? What was the, the last one? The health in every size oh, health at every size oh health at every size. okay mm-hmm. i'm gonna write it down and share it with with the folks in the in the show notes you'll be able to see this yeah list. and i can send you that information
Well, well, thank you for that. And for the folks that would love to get to know more about you and, and the work that you do, can you share with us how people can find you? Yes, I am on Instagram and TikTok with the same handle at Dr. Hortensia Jimenez, D-R-H-O-R-T-E-N-C-I-A-J-I-M-E-N-E-Z. And I have my website, www.hortensiajimenez.com. That's all I have for right now. And I did recently launch my podcast. Uh, the title is Dismantling Diet Culture, Fuck Being Calladita. And I was very I intentional. Love that title. <laughs> yes, because love part it. of diet culture, if we yeah. understand it as a systems mm -hmm. of oppression, is to silence us, you know, to mute our voices. And I'm like, well, what a better title, you know, fuck being calladita. And that means talking about everything. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love it. And you know, now that we're talking about this just popped in my head. And and it have you seen the documentary? It's an old documentary called Misrepresentation. Yes. Yes, okay. I've used it and it's a documentary. Yes, it's a documentary. I, and it goes by different decades. Yes, I use it in my courses. Mm -hmm. Okay. I that I I watched that when I was in college. I think I was like 20 in my early 20s, maybe. It again is one of those things that when you see it, it changes the way you see yourself as as well. This is particularly about women, right? It's how you see yourself as a woman in this society, but it talks about the 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 diet industry, yes. it talks about the body shame. So it's it's yes. wonderful. So for the folks listening, check it out. It's, I think it's on YouTube now. It's free, yes. available yes. on YouTube. So and how we're impacted by diet culture and systems of oppression have a lot to do with our the different identities that we have. And this is an invitation for everyone to acknowledge your privileged identities. And I will go first as an example, um, being able to speak English. I have an accent, but my accent is not that thick. So that also is um, you know, markers of difference and what is more, you know, how you're treated because of that. So those are privileges I have. I have privileges based on my education, based on my social class, based on my immigration status, being a naturalized US citizen. I am tall and I am thin and I am cisgender. So it's important to name the privileges that we have, not only just to name them, to recognize them and how they operate and to be very mindful in how we interact with other people to check our own you know, implicit biases as well. Just as I mentioned my privileged identities, I also have marginalized identities. I am a queer woman. I am indigenous. I am an immigrant. So although those marginalized identities limit me in certain ways, you know, it's important to to recognize that, you know, I have privileged ones and I need to be super mindful on how they can manifest themselves in the community. We can't get caught up on like, oh, we're a minoritized group, you know, masses, but we experience the world differently because of our privilege and marginalized identities. Some have more privilege, some have less. Uh, but it's important to recognize both and how they operate in systems of oppression and marginalization that ultimately lead to inequality. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and as you were mentioning that, you know, I was realizing sometimes, like you said, we get caught up in what we don't have or, you know, the what we um, are 
you know, the, the, the struggles that we have because we're, you know, I'm speaking for myself because I'm a brown woman, you know, and, but, um, but it's also important. And I, I would say even, you know, equally important to also be aware of the privilege that in, that I have inherently, right. Just, and like you said, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll save mine because you were talking. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, I was born here. That's a you know, huge privilege. I speak English. I have education. You know, I, I have, I'm, I'm cis, you know, a cisgender woman. And, and sometimes just being able to list that right now is like, wow. Okay. So I have, I, I have my own biases also right and it's I because of the privilege of these privileges that I mentioned so I I think it it is so important to examine our our own privilege and also what what can come out of that and how can we well how are we perpetuating these Uh the the these systems of oppression from Uh the the privilege that we do have whether it's a little bit of privilege or a Uh lot but you know I think it's just important to be aware of it Mm -hmm. and you know connecting in to you know to close off the podcast in terms how is this connected to healing it has everything to do because we hear in the wellness world that healing is expensive you know that healing is to post yeah I don't mind you know yes I would like to get a massage yeah yeah often but you know i can't mm-hmm. afford it it you know so when you think about healing it also comes with privilege right and from you know communities of color uh, with less resources healing looks differently you know healing for me has also been connecting with my garden like spending time outdoors taking my dog on a walk cycling you know going on long distance bike rides has been healing for me things that don't require financial resources but then again, privilege because some of these require require time, right? So even then, when we show up and talk about healing, we also have to be super mindful. Like this is coming from a, a place absolutely. of 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 privilege of what we're able to do. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your your wisdom and this just all the information you shared. Thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Of course. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you found it healing and nourishing to your mind and soul. If there's a friend that you think would benefit from listening to this information, please share it. Share about our podcast. If you feel called to, please leave us a review as this really, really helps boost our presence here in Apple Podcasts and it makes it easier for others to find us to stay up to date on new episode releases and special events and projects that I'm working on. You can follow us on Instagram at Inner Healing Paths Podcast, and you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to my website, which is rosachettilcsw.com. And I will include this information and links in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again next time.